Ho, 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 and welcome to This Podcast is a Ritual. I'm your wizard, Devin Person, and today is December 25th, which means it's Christmas. Christmas is often called the most magical time of the year, and I've always had a kind of hot and cold relationship with it. On the one hand, as someone very interested in ritual and the ways that traditions bind culture together, I think Christmas is our most active contemporary ritual. There's so many different elements, old, religious, modern, that blend together in a very fascinating way. On the other hand, the day itself gets so hyped up, I always, even since childhood, have felt like it tends to be a bit of a letdown. What are those presents going to be? Oh my gosh, there's so many boxes under the tree. Or if you're my family, there's a very modest amount of boxes under the tree. And then you open them and the surprise is revealed and it's just some stuff. Maybe it's some stuff that you're excited about. Maybe it's a sweater from your grandparents. Again, if you were in my family, maybe it's some library books that my mom got that I'm going to read and return to the library because we are pretty uh, thrifty and not into waste. So, you know, whatever the hype was around Christmas, the actual experience was kind of, huh, okay. And then that's the morning, right? And Thanksgiving, there's so much activities that go on throughout the day of making food and these specific dishes and sitting down, which you can do with your family or a big group of friends. And it always felt like Thanksgiving really came together. And I mean, gratitude. What a great thing to construct a holiday around. And of course, there's the complexities of the Thanksgiving myth. But setting those aside, the actual ritual of Thanksgiving really works for me. Christmas kind of fizzles. Okay, we've had breakfast, we open stockings and presents, and we're sitting around with a bunch of wrapping paper, and I'm, am I going to go just read this library book for the rest of the day, or are we going to go out and see a movie? And, you know, especially as I became an adult, it felt like Christmas, more than Thanksgiving, people were really committed to family things, and as someone who's lived far away from family almost my entire adult life, uh, that wasn't really an option. So I've had a lot of like weird Christmases <laughs> trying to fill that time. And you can try and embrace it or you can try and ignore it. And I'll tell you, I've done both and never really been satisfied with either result. My Christmases where I went gung-ho and I was like, it's freaking Christmas, still felt a little bit eh. And trying to ignore it is pretty much impossible if you're doing zero Christmassy things on that day. It's still is in the back of your head that it's Christmas and there's this feeling that you're supposed to be doing something more Christmassy, or at least that's my experience. But I am a wizard. And around this time of the year, I frequently get asked about that other fellow with the long white beard and the pointy-ish cap. Of course, I'm talking about Santa Claus. Is Santa Claus a wizard? And it's something that I've had a clear answer to for a very long time. No. Santa Claus is not a wizard. But today, since it's Christmas, I wanted to try again to revisit what this holiday means and how we can think about these rituals and this very magical time and possibly explore new alternatives to my answer about whether Santa Claus is indeed a wizard. 
So without any further ado, let's deck those halls, jingle those bells, and dive right into the Metamodern Christmas Special. On Christmas. So we could think about the calendar year a bit like a friendship bracelet. You would have a bead for each day. Maybe we'd have a different color bead for weekends. So we'd have a little bit of a pattern going, and that would go around and create a whole circle with 365 little beads. Now, there's other special days that we would want to designate with specific beads, various holidays, perhaps our birthday. But if you ask most people in contemporary Western culture, what was the king of the holidays? What was the biggest, most important, most special day? I think the answer is pretty unequivocally Christmas. So if we were going to make this friendship bracelet calendar, that Christmas bead would be a chonk. It would be a big Christmas tree shaped bobble that would really stand out, definitely dwarfing uh, Memorial Day or Valentine's Day or Easter or any of these lesser holidays. Because Christmas not only is the most important holiday, it gets this huge ramp up. The month before Christmas, I mean, we have advent calendars. The stores just go nuts basically once Halloween's over, but extra hard as soon as Thanksgiving wraps. And so it's all driving to this one day, December 25th, which is going to be the best day of the year in a very vague way, which I think, again, sets up a lot of expectations and makes it hard for Christmas to deliver because you wake up Christmas morning and guess what? It's a day. It's just one of those beads and you're trying to fill it with these things, but that's it's still just a day, more or less like any other. Now, thinking about this friendship bracelet calendar gave me a few ways that I thought we could explore Christmas. One of them would be to think about your lifetime. The first bead would be your birthday, and then instead of a single bracelet, it would kind of loop around like a spiral. And so if you imagine those beads just looping around and around, moving forward through your whole life, you could line up all of those Christmases. There would be that little Christmas tree next to the one next year and the one last year, and they would just boop, 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 line up, going along until at some point, hopefully later than sooner, you will celebrate your last Christmas and your bead will come to an end, or your bracelet will come to an end, and one of those beads will mark your death day, which, isn't that crazy? That, like, July 12th is your death day, and you just don't know about it? <laughs> you might never know about it. Other people might find out, but you might not. But anyways, I digress. So, there's different views of reality, obviously, and one of these is called eternalism, and that's the idea that all of this already exists. So that whole spiral of friendship bracelet calendars moving through time is a complete object that exists. And even though we're moving through it linearly one day at a time, it's all hypothetically there and it's not changing. Now, I don't personally go all in on eternalism. I like a more kind of variant, uh, it's congealing into being out of a cloud of possibilities idea, but Let's just explore eternalism for a moment. So one way to think about Christmas would be imagining if you lived life only through Christmas. So, of course, 
there would be those other beads. But imagine like you're in a Groundhog Day kind of movie and each day you wake up and it's the next Christmas. So you're looking around and you're like, wow, <laughs> some of these people are the same. Some of them are different. Apparently I moved. I look in the mirror. I've gotten a little bit older. And so if we just made a special bracelet with only those Christmas beads, you could see, I don't know, approximately 80 Christmases play out. The ones where you're a baby and those, it's not really your Christmas as much as your parents' Christmas. That's an interesting thought that those very first Christmases are so much more about your parents being new parents and we have this baby and what are we doing with this baby and we've got to get presents for everybody and blah, blah, blah. But as it goes on, it becomes more about your experience of Christmas. And then as you leave home, it's visits to the family or venturing off on your own or however it is. And you would see that stretching out through time. And it would be really interesting to, you know, just kind of get that uh, little bit of like a, not stop motion animation, but time lapse, a time lapse so you could just see it all play out. And if you think about living this, um, 80 days, you know, that's like two and a half months, like two and a half months of pure Christmas would uh, get you through uh, average contemporary length human life bearing tragedy. So that's one way that we can explore Christmas. But the other one would be to think about Christmas lived in parallel. So if everyone has this friendship bracelet calendar, today is December 25th for everybody, which is about 9 billion people. Uh, and so if you were, again, in a Groundhog Day kind of scenario, going to just wake up each morning and you're living somebody else's Christmas Day, and that just keeps happening, you keep quantum leaping into different bodies waking up, and some are people who are really into Christmas, they're in the modern Western world, and this is a big deal, and they've got all the presents and the trees and all of that. Uh, there's people who probably know it's Christmas but don't care. It, not their religion. They're not celebrating. It's in the background of culture, but they're not giving as big of a deal of it. Then there's probably people in other countries who today's just the day. <laughs> there's nothing Christmassy in their world. Maybe there's a vague idea that, oh yeah, technically it's Christmas, but in the same way that Westerners are like, oh, is it Ramadan? Like, I guess so. Huge deal. <laughs> huge, huge deal if you're in a place that's very much engaged in that tradition. But I mean, there's plenty of people who are just not even aware it's Christmas at all. It's just the day. They have a different calendar system. And I didn't actually do the math in advance of recording this, but also if you live 9 billion days in a row, that would be a really long time. That would be so much longer than your average human life. But if we're thinking about all of those experiences and almost shading them in. What are the very Christmassy ones and the medium Christmassy ones and then the ones that aren't Christmassy at all? That begs a very important question. What makes a Christmas day Christmassy? So here's some thoughts about Christmas. Christmas is hyper self-referential. On Thanksgiving, we have a feast and maybe kids reenact a modified version of the Thanksgiving myth and comment on its problematic aspects. On Valentine's Day, uh, you you know are either grumpy and single or trying to have some sort of romantic thing if you're in a relationship. But 
there's not a lot of Thanksgiving songs that are just going, it's Thanksgiving, it's Thanksgiving. And there's not a lot of Valentine stuff that's just like, Valentine's is the most Valentine-y time of time. But Christmas tells you it's fucking Christmas over and over again. How do we know what Christmas music is? It's literally a song that sings about Christmas that says repeatedly, this is a song about Christmas. This is a song about Christmas traditions. And now we have variants of those songs and covers and all of this. But all of it is coming back to this idea of it's referring to Christmas. There's people who have whole other sets of plates and napkins and glasses that they swap out in this season. It's Christmas time, so get rid of all of our normal stuff and bring out the Christmas stuff that has a Santa on it, that has a tree on it, that has a snowflake or a snowman. Make sure that we are very aware that it is Christmas because you look around and there's signs that say, it's Christmas. You turn on the TV, everyone's wearing sweaters, they're reminding you to buy gifts. Why should I buy a gift? Oh, right. It's Christmas. So one of the things that makes Christmas so special is that we constantly are declaring how special it is. We are unequivocally reinforcing this with every little bit of background music, every little bit of decor, every commercial is all about reminding us that it is Christmas. And that, I think, is why it feels so inescapable. It's really hard to ignore. Like, <laughs> you could go on vacation in the, uh, you know, Amazon and get far, far away from anybody and maybe forget that it's Christmas. But if you're in a country that celebrates it, especially America, we're going to let you know that it's Christmas and we want you to know that it's Christmas because it's Christmas. It's just a loop. It just is, it's important that it's Christmas because it's Christmas. But what's at the center of that loop? Why is there such emphasis on the fact that it's Christmas? Why do we inflate it to such a huge degree? And this is where I think the holiday becomes really fascinating because there's a few different angles and they're all kind of like layered on top of each other, like a weird dessert that kind of doesn't go together. So the base layer, which again is confusing, is a whole bunch of pagan traditions from Europe or other, not you know explicitly pagan, but like you know traditions. And if you look at contemporary Europe, they celebrate Christmas in different ways. There's different influences, and you know it's not all just Coca-Cola, Santa Claus everywhere. But there's this weird mix of Yule and old solstice things and all of that, and you know these myths about it coming from Amanita mushrooms, which. I've seen debunked, but yeah, it's a fun it's a fun story. Let's let's enjoy it. But so there's this kind of weird foundation layer of older tradition. And then that gets replaced or built up with the Christian emphasis that it's Jesus's birthday, even though that was moved, and the nativity scene, and we reenact that. And so the more traditional religious view is that Christmas is Christian. And all of this extra stuff is just getting in the way. But to be fair, all of that extra stuff keeps the focus on that day and gives you the opportunity to remind everyone that it's really about the baby Jesus. So, you know, you're kind of working together there. There's a little bit of synergy. But the next layer where we get into what I'll call secular confusion 
is what's really fascinating to me. Because here's where we have all of the self-referential Christmas stuff. We're saying it's important that it's Christmas and we're going to watch these movies and we're going to sing these songs and we're going to try and acknowledge that like, yeah, like baby Jesus was born, but like also you might not be a Christian. So we don't want to force that too hard. But, you know, people that think everyone should be a Christian are a little offended that we're not pushing that angle as much as we used to. And it starts to get kind of shaky. And then if you look at Christmas media, specifically movies and TV specials, there is a frequent question at the core of these stories asking, what is the meaning of Christmas? So we have a day that we recognize as the most special and important day. We build up all this hype around it. We want you to know the day is important by referencing it constantly. And then in that referencing, we're also asking, wait, why, why do we care again? Like what's, what is what are we supposed to feel or do or like what's what's the point of this? And I think that is amazing that uncertainty and that confusion. I mean, one of my favorite Christmas specials is the Charlie Brown Christmas and Charlie Brown is really or is it Linus in that? I don't know. One of the characters, probably Linus, he's the more like moody philosophical one, but is really trying to dig into that question of like what is the meaning of Christmas? And then that same confusion boils down into other ones as more of an idea about like believing in the spirit of Christmas. Like there's a grumpy adult or a Grinch or a Scrooge, somebody who's not with the program and Christmas media wants you to know that that's bad. You don't want to be someone who's anti-Christmas. You're vilified. But then the spirit of Christmas enters into them and they are transformed and they become a good person. And so we can see already how that Christian emphasis comes back again into this more secular layer. That even if we're not making a movie like, you know, Elf doesn't take a moment to talk about the importance of the baby Jesus, that Christian mythos is still laden with very Judeo-Christian themes. I mean, we've got this daddy God with a big white beard who's off in some remote place watching over humanity and judging us not as saints and sinners but whether we're naughty or nice and there's a real importance on believing if you don't believe in christmas if you're not buying in you're a scrooge you're a grinch fuck you but if that spirit of christmas touches you you have a conversion moment you are born again you go sing carols with the who villains, or you, uh, or you buy a Christmas goose for a poor family, and you are born again, imbued with the spirit of Christmas. But of course, as this kind of conversion event, that's really hard to repeat on an annual basis. Like, not all of us can be like, "I hate Christmas until Christmas, and then I'm converted, and then I forget, and then I hate it, and each year I get to have this rapturous moment." So instead, we're all trying to find a way to like get into that vibe and experience that meaning like we're supposed to, but like not my world doesn't work like Elf. It's not <laughs> Santa Claus isn't going to show up at the third act of my day and reveal the meaning of Christmas. So I'm left with other representations to fit myself in, which is a lot of this American values, which is very focused on family.
again, across commercials and Hallmark specials and things like that. It's all about this idea of a house that's decorated for Christmas with all the lights so you know it's Christmas, and then family coming together, maybe acknowledging the adversity that they have to get through to come together and have, again, that heartwarming moment of connection. But that's the idea that when the end credits roll, you're going to be in your cute sweaters, near a roaring fire, with gifts on your lap, everyone smiling, and just really feeling that Christmas special energy. And that's the problem, is that modern life isn't really like that either. Um, traveling for the holidays is expensive and difficult. I hear from so many clients this time of year how stressful it is, feeling like they have to buy presents for a million people, or their family doesn't get along very well and there's a lot of pain. And I think one of the most difficult experiences we have is when we're trying to do what we think we should or fit our life into this narrative that's kind of imposed and we feel this pressure, but then we're trying to deny how we actually feel, which is much more conflicted and confused and ambivalent. And so I think that's where that central tension of Christmas has always rubbed me the wrong way, is there's this idea that everyone on your block is having the Hallmark movie Christmas. It's so cute. They're so happy. And you're sitting there with the presents that you didn't really want and your uncle getting too drunk and making a rant about something that's very uncomfortable. And then you're going to go see a movie that, again, tells you that the meaning of Christmas is the spirit of Christmas and Santa showing up and you're not having that day. And you're just kind of like, huh, what? So there's a pressure and a seeking, but no answer. And Christmas becomes even more meta here because it started to acknowledge the hollowness of materialism. We've started to fold that in. So it's not just someone saying, what's the meaning of Christmas? And then someone goes, it's the spirit of Christmas. And their heart swells and they're happy. Instead, it's recognizing that you're seeing through the commercialism and all of the other stuff. And you're finding that spirit within it, even after you have to move all this materialism out of the way. But of course, that materialism is the media that's presenting this narrative. So it's very contradictory. Like, I like the movie Elf. I think that's a fun movie. But, you know, is that the spirit of Christmas? Watching Elf with your family and your drunk uncle and your grandparents and that's it? Especially after you've opened all your presents? Like, it doesn't add up. In that confusion, I've become more convinced is kind of representative of our modern world. We are in this post-religious reality. We don't have a single shared ideological mythic system. We recognize that a lot of the progress that we're supposed to be so amazed by and healed by is adding more problems and making us feel more alienated. And yet we're searching through that and within that, trying to find something coming up kind of empty-handed and that's making us all feel sort of deeply uncomfortable all the time which then feeds back into materialism of like oh well maybe if i uh you know i thought if i was rich then i'd be happy but then the rich people weren't happy but now the rich people are doing mindfulness meditation so maybe if i go on an ayahuasca retreat and do mindfulness that i'll be happy next year and we're kind of still trying to buy our way towards that and 
the relationship of Christmas and belief and magic is actually central to it. And we can see this in the Santa Claus myth. Children are born with no knowledge of Santa Claus. This is not an instinctual thing that they come into the world going, I know that there's a guy in the North Pole who gives out presents. Don't try and tell me otherwise. They are indoctrinated into the Santa Claus myth. We give them presents and then we lie to them. As adults, we say, oh, looks like Santa brought you something. Definitely wasn't me and dad at Best Buy last week and that was Santa. And so we tell them this lie and they believe it because they're children and children learn about the world through what adults tell them and these rituals that they experience. So along those beads, you're going from, I'm a baby, I'm just going to suck on Christmas wrapping when no one's looking, to like, I'm a young kid, I'm getting excited about this. Okay, now I really believe in Santa Claus. This is so exciting. And then there's this moment where it falls apart and you learn Santa Claus isn't real. You know, the movies are still telling you that like, oh, okay, yeah, adults think Santa Claus is not real, but if you're special, you really believe. But it becomes almost a thing of like, which kid still believes in Santa Claus? And at a certain age, you're kind of made fun of if you do, you know? Like, some kid's going to tell you on the playground that Santa Claus is not real, and you're going to feel like a sucker for believing it. So this is the myth. This is the ritual and it's a reenactment of disillusionment. It's almost like a reenactment of our culture that we were born into the world. What's going on? We learn about these mythic religious ideas of God or gods or spirits. We buy into it. Yeah, okay, that's got to be it. We believe it. And then suddenly it's ripped away. Nietzsche says God is dead. And then we're kind of going, huh, what? And now, again, you're sort of made fun of a little bit of like, wow, you really, you really believe in God? You really believe in angels? I'm not saying everyone has that, but I think the general American secular attitude is kind of condescending around those things. So this is very weird. We're setting kids up just to knock them down. We want everybody to go through this experience so they can also have that unsettled feeling where we want fairy tale magic, but then we're scorned as childlike for believing it. We're given materialism, told that it's empty, and then we're supposed to figure out what to do on our own. And again, kind of unclear, pretty confusing. And we're trying to look in those empty boxes to see if we miss something and maybe Maybe the spirit of Christmas is at the bottom. Maybe maybe it's hidden underneath the tree. Look around the back. Hopefully we can find it. And that's where we just hold tight to the relics. When the experience of magic, when that felt internal, true understanding of magic leaves a culture, we tend to cling to the objects and ideas it left behind and then worship them as false idols. We used to have a rapturous experience of God and personal connection, perhaps, and then that's gone. So then we just go, go to church and go through the motions and, you know, eat the little cookie that they hand out. And, uh, you know, everyone's at a certain point forgotten how to access that true magic. But now it's even more important since that's gone that we just cling to what it once was, which makes sense with Christmas being hyper self-referential and 
culturally enforced that there used to be something about this time of the year where like I don't know like it made sense with the seasons and we were bonded with family and there was some sort of larger meaning and purpose and that's gone now and it doesn't feel like it's the baby Jesus story we know about that but it doesn't feel like it and I don't think it's going to be getting more gifts we've already debunked that but um shoot I just don't know what it is well let's just make sure that we put up a tree and sing the songs and put the lights out and do all of the things and hope that it comes back. And if we get a bigger blow up Santa and we outdo all the neighbors, maybe we'll show them that we're more Christmassy. And is anybody feeling the Christmas spirit yet? Do, did we get it this year? Well, we'll go harder next year. So it enforces itself. And that brings me to the idea of a metamodern Christmas. So before we jump into this, let me just talk about metamodernism. Now, there's various philosophical and cultural and aesthetic ways that you can talk about this concept, and I've been really enjoying uh, a, a variety of those this year, so it's been top of mind. But I think from a more aesthetic example, and especially I'll use film um, to help us understand, we can then apply it to the holiday itself. So if you think about modernism, modernism is when everything was very sincere and we were like at that surface level and convinced that good guys were good, bad guys were bad, things were simple, everything's getting better. So these are classic Hollywood films where the good guys wear white hats, the bad guys wear black hats, there's a clear arc, the good guy wins, everyone lives happily ever after, and we're not critiquing at a very deep level, we're kind of cheering on this like American you know mythos of things are getting better we're making progress this is great we've got good guys and bad guys hurrah and so these are movies where they're big movie experiences think um, you know something like Top Gun has been held up as an example of this where it's just pretty like rah rah and we're not questioning we're not looking at is the military actually bad we're just going for it at that surface level Postmodern deconstructs that, often taking that wiser, per, wider perspective very wizardly and saying, hey guys, this is a movie. We're aware that it's a movie. Monty Python and the Holy Grail is a great example of this, where the movie ends with them being arrested because somebody in the like camera crew got killed earlier. And so the movie is very much just deconstructing your understanding that you're watching a movie. Um, the, the bad guys are good, the good guys are bad, everything's kind of topsy-turvy, and it's getting a little bit more cynical. We're not really celebrating some triumphant human ideal. We're kind of pulling it apart. And the problem with postmodernism is that after a while, it kind of doesn't leave you with much. It's like we've dissected the frog, but it doesn't hop anymore. So how many times can we have a character like, you know, wink at the camera and say, I know I'm in a movie. Um, whether we're explicitly showing the uh, actor or the you know cameraman and lighting crew and stuff and breaking that fourth wall, or just the way that we have it now in Marvel movies and a lot of holiday specials where they're kind of like, oh, are we doing the thing? We're doing the thing. You know it's a thing because you've seen it a million times, and we know it's a thing because somehow we're like vaguely aware we're characters in a movie and we're kind of breaking that illusion to comment on it. And so postmodernism has gotten to this point where we're like, okay, we took it all apart, but like, what now? And metamodernism 
is this new step forward where it takes it apart and then it puts it back together knowingly, but with, I think, some of that heart that modernism had. Uh, one of the great examples of this is the movie Everywhere, Everywhere, All at Once. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. Um, and that movie knows genres. It's jumping into kung fu movies. It's playing with silliness. It like really is working with that postmodern toolbox. But then when it brings it all together, it's telling a very human story about a mother and a daughter and the immigrant experience. And so there is a message. It's not saying, ha ha ha, isn't the idea of having a message so silly? Look, we're like looking down on it. Instead, it's saying, yeah, we get it. It's postmodern. Okay. This is a movie. You know, it's a movie. We know it's a movie. But movies say something. What are we trying to say? What is it the experience of this? So for me, metamodernism is understanding that the trick isn't the trick. It's not just, hey, it's a movie and it does a thing, but bringing us in as the viewer and saying, it's our ability to create and enjoy tricks that makes them magical. So there's the magic trick where you're just going, whoa, oh my God, how did he do that? That's amazing. Is that really magic? There is the kind of postmodern cynical thing of saying, look, there's a mirror, there's smoke. It's not real. Ha ha ha. That's how it's done. And then the metamodern is saying, hey, here's a trick and here's how it's done. But isn't this also amazing? The skill, the ingenuity, the deception, the physical sleight of hand. Isn't this impressive? This is magic that we're able to create this experience. And so you don't even have to fully suspend disbelief. You just have to engage with belief to feel that magic. And when it comes to Christmas, I would say the relics are empty until we fill them in ourselves and create our own rituals and traditions out of them. A tree is just a tree until it's cut down, sold, brought into a home, covered in lights, and becomes a Christmas tree. And I would go even further and say that it becomes your Christmas tree when you put the ornaments on it that are special to you, that you got from your grandparents, that you inherited, that have this link that goes beyond just, oh, cool, I saw a sign that said Christmas at the store and I bought it. And so we know it's Christmas because I have the, the sign that we plug in and it goes, it's Christmas. And we know it's Christmas. I think that's where it feels hollow and empty. But when we put ourselves into it, it becomes something a little bit more special. So again, if we return to this idea of the friendship bracelet calendar, those beads that go round and round, we could think about how traditions grow and spread through the course of a single life. You could think about your very first Christmas. You're one-year-old and there's some ornament or whatever that your parents get and you're a baby, you're trying to put it in your mouth, but they got this for you. And then as you grow up, when you're celebrating Christmas and you're unwrapping the box of ornaments and putting them on the tree. Oh, there's the one from when you were a baby. And there's the one that's made out of glued popsicle sticks with a photo that you made in fourth grade. And these are accumulating over time. As you move through your life, you probably leave some of those traditions behind, but some of them you take with you and you're celebrating them with friends or with your own family one day or however you want to bring them forward. But it creates a link to the past. When you put that little one-year-old baby ornament on the tree that is connected that is a physical object that goes all the way back to that first christmas and gives you a sense 
of that connection and tradition. So you're no longer just in this mass produced void that's just blinking in neon. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. What is the meaning? Do you feel the spirit? But instead, you do feel a spirit because you are aware of these connections and rituals and traditions. So if you think about that single life, right, where it's all Christmas beads and you're moving through, you could see how those ornaments and these other objects and traditions get passed along, whether that's stringing popcorn together or listening to a specific favorite song. And maybe the favorite song changes over time, but it's all evolving through this sequence of days. And that, I think, is pretty magical. But then the other way that that Christmas day is shared is the parallel Christmas. Again, everyone right now is waking up. Anyone who's alive or being born is experiencing today. And this is all shared. And we can think about those traditions as kind of a shading. You know, we're going to see like 9 billion little, uh, little open circles. Like we're taking a, a Scantron test and we're just shading in green with who's got a tree up, who put lights, who is doing presence? Who is engaged in these sorts of things? And that's what bonds a community together. I mean, that's what has created our current thing of switching to happy holidays because we recognized that, oh, <laughs> uh, this holiday is connected to a religion and not everyone fills those in. And so we're excluding members of our community by trying to enforce these specific traditions and so then we did the weird thing of like, hey, here's a blue colored pencil. Don't you have Hanukkah? Make that a big deal because it's on the same time. And the Jews were like, Hanukkah really wasn't that big of a deal, but we'll, we'll try. And somebody said, you know, I'm going to invent Kwanzaa because I want to represent the African-American experience in a different way. And so there's these, you know, alternate versions. But again, it's all about creating shared rituals and traditions and that we're all aware that on December 25th, a lot of the houses in the neighborhood are engaged in this experience that looks a little bit like what we're doing here. How many people in your city are watching that same Christmas movie today? How many of your family is doing that? That shared element, I think, is where this magic comes in. And so with metamodernism, we understand that the original idea that Christmas was just going to be this perfect thing for white American Christians, and that was how it was represented in media, had a lot of issues, and so we kind of pulled it apart. And we pulled it apart to the point where we weren't really sure what it meant anymore. It's Is it about Jesus? Is it about more presence? Is, it's about less presence? It's about going to the movies and eating Chinese food? Like, what is it about? And I think that this is now metamodern in the way that we can bring it together and say, hey, there's this whole idea of Christmas. How do you want to build your own experience out of that in a way that's meaningful to you? Now, this doesn't mean it has to be anti-commercial and connected to some origin, but I think it's important to acknowledge the ways that traditions can be artificially created and enforced and capitalized on versus the way that we can kind of cull them from those original uh, commercial roots and reclaim them as their own. Now, the ones that are coming to mind are Elf on the Shelf um, and then a family tradition that I had. So Elf on the Shelf uh, was not around when I was a kid, 
And this was strategic. This was not something that just, you know, grew organically. A company was like, hey, you know what? We should uh, casually promote the idea of a panopticon and constant surveillance by having families have to move this elf around the house so the kids know they're being observed and we'll sell them the specific elf. You can't just get your own. And now there's like pets for the elf and it's making millions of dollars every year and is very weird and it's like an enforced tradition like somebody came up with this tradition and marketed it and sold it and the hope was that kids who grow up with this would go oh elf on the shelf and enforce it on their own kids and get them used to living with uh all kinds of weird cameras in the house and again this theme of who's naughty and nice and you're being watched so I don't like Elf on the Shelf, if you couldn't tell. I think that this is an artificial tradition, and if it's bringing you and your family cheer, fine, but I think it's creepy, and I think it's weird when these things are pushed onto us that came out of a corporate meeting rather than growing organically. Now, maybe this is just me being biased, but I'll share my family tradition and try and tease out how I think it's a little bit different. So some year for Christmas, uh, we were watching TV, and I remember there was a Hallmark commercial that was a family unwrapping their ornaments, and the family had, like, themed ornaments. Like, the brother got trees, and the sister got uh, Santa Claus, and, you know, they were, like, reflecting on, you know, they got these ornaments each year. And... Hallmark wanted you to come to the Hallmark store and buy their ornaments. Like, that was the plan. They might have even been a specific series of Hallmark ornaments. But my mom saw that and was like, oh, that's really cute. I'm the mom of four boys. Uh, I like that idea as a tradition. Let's do that. So each year in our stocking, I would get some sort of polar bear thing. One of my brothers would get a penguin. Someone would get a Santa. And, you know, the ornaments changed each year, but they always had that thematic link. And then when we were unboxing them and putting them on the tree... Oh, here's a polar bear ornament. That's one of Devin's. And so it came from an ad, but we made it our own. And we made it our own, which meant we weren't going to Hallmark to say, oh, what's the official Hallmark ornament this year that we should just buy? Whereas Elf on the Shelf is like, you need to buy the Elf on the Shelf branded product. Like, that's that's the idea of the tradition. So I don't want to tell anybody how they should celebrate Christmas or if they should celebrate Christmas. I think it's a complicated, difficult, challenging holiday where the amount of hype is pretty unmeetable. It's very hard to have a Christmas that feels as magical as media and commercials are telling you it should feel. And I think it hits at that sore spot that many of us have and probably why you listen to this podcast, because we're looking for magic and it's hard to find. It's a lot of the things that try and sell it back to you um, feel like Elf on the Shelf. It's the branded corporate magic and this is the tradition. This is the spell book. This is how to be a Wicca in three easy steps. And it's, again, we're trying, we're aware that materialism is hollow, but we're still trying to pull it out of materialism in a way that's not quite working. So instead of trying to pull it out, my suggestion is put it in. The spirit of Christmas isn't something you find, it's something that you create. God is dead, we made him up, and materialism isn't the way forward, 
but we must return to the understanding that Santa Claus exists because we believe in him and that it's our inquiry, our journey, our narrative struggle through the empty pageantry, mindless materialism, and forced family togetherness to realize the magic of Christmas is that spark we ourselves ignite, which could be with friends over Chinese food on a rainy day in New York City. It could be alone at an airport as you travel someplace on your own vacation, taking advantage of the fact that flights tend to be a little bit cheaper on Christmas Day itself. There's all sorts of ways that we get to create our own traditions and find our own magic and create that link through that friendship bracelet calendar. All of those Christmas-shaped beads, recognizing that I pretty much can remember what I did most Christmases. I'm not going to be perfect and my memory's fuzzy, but if you ask me what was I doing December 25th three years ago versus what was I doing January 12th three years ago, I know Christmas a lot better. And that gives us this base on which we can create our own magic, our own traditions, and our own meaning. So again, a tree is just a tree until we bring it into a home and decorate it and make it into a Christmas tree. And put a star atop, which follows that idea of the wise men following the star and the nativity scene that churches put in their yards and your religious neighbors do too. And I think symbolizes that monotheistic thirst we have for exalted pinnacles, things that bring everything together. So we can take that star as a symbol and deconstruct it but not just leave those pieces lying around like so much discarded wrapping paper, but put them back together and recognize that it is us who make that star shine. So just wanted to share a few thoughts on this day and say, what do I know? Maybe Santa is a wizard after all. <laughs>